0: This week on Luke, Who Is Your Father? Like, obviously, I was having a hard time taking even responsibility and accountability because I was really also mad that, um, that it was going that way. And I was like, well, fuck, the, you know, if, she, I, if this is how it's going to go, this is how it's going to be Like, I'll give you something to be
1: pissed off about.
0: Monday, May 15th, and shit is wild out there. Welcome to season one, episode eight of Luke, Who Is Your Father? A podcast about mystery, scandal, and triumph of the familial variety. This season, we're telling you about being triplets separated at birth, the trials and tribulations of growing up separately, coming together, and the hunt for our biological father. You can see this episode and all of our episodes and bonus content by subscribing to Luke, Who Is Your Father? on YouTube. Follow us on TikTok at Luke who is your father pod at Ricky jump and at Jules who is your father and follow us on Instagram at Luke who is your father at Ricky jump and at Kenny K 23. We so appreciate your support. You guys have been amazing. And if you haven't already, we would love if you could take 10 seconds to rate, review and subscribe to the pod and to share with a friend, family member, enemy, neighbor, turtle, (laughs) curious bystander, anyone that you think would enjoy or more importantly, benefit from hearing. And we are in the final episodes of our first season. So we're ready to finally turn the mics over to you all and get them hypothetically, not really, but sort of out of our faces. <laughs> um, so we've already received so much interest, so many stories. We need more. We'll always need more. You can email us at LukeWhoIsYourFatherPod at gmail.com or at ricky at Luke, your Father.com. We want to hear stories about family strife, daddy issues, who is he, who isn't he, strife, <laughs> separation, DNA discoveries, anything that you think would be a good fit. And we do have a beautiful website made by Kenny herself, where you can go read our bios, any mentions in the press, see all of the platforms that we're streaming on. And most importantly, you can submit your stories there as well. So go check that out at LukeHosYourFather.com. I'm your host, Ricky. I'm Kenny. This is Jules. And if you're new here, we are, in fact, triplets separated at birth. We've spent our lives exploring what it means to be sisters and on the spisters. hunt for- sisters <laughs> I <mean spinsters>. <laughs> and spinsters. And on the hunt for our biological father, which is what this season is building up to, we have a mere three episodes left if you're counting this one. And last week, we talked all about the man, the myth, the legend, Kenny Joseph Scavo. That episode was dedicated entirely to him. How wonderful he was and still is. And we recommend if you haven't listened to it to go listen to that. And all of our episodes, if you're not caught up.
1: So it's before we, our faves.
0: it is a fave. So before we get into the the not so fun stuff. Just kidding. It's mostly fun. Uh, we got to do the crazy question of the day. So Kenny, I want to hear about the craziest. Most eerie, most impossible, serendipitous, or synchronous moment of what the fuck is happening? How are these two worlds colliding? Does that ever happen to you?
1: Um, I think that my most serendipitous moment that I can think of at the moment is when Lee and I were looking at houses. Well, first of all, my friend had a coworker who had she was a foster for puppies, and um, I went to look at a litter of puppies because I wanted another dog and uh, I met these these lovely dogs, and uh, I have a tendency to fall in love with dogs that are a little bit more older, mature, quote unquote. Uh, Puppies just don't really have personalities in my opinion. So I didn't really click with any of the puppies, but I did click with the mama bear, Lola. And I asked if she was available and she was. And so then we spent kind of like, I want to say it was a month or so going through the adoption process and fostering and doing meet and greets with Duke and, and Lola and everything. And there was one morning when, um, after Lee had met Lola for the first time and we had gone to look at houses and we saw this house that we really liked, uh, Lee more so than me It had, had like a really giant backyard. And I was like, um, who's, who's <laughs> taking care of that shit? Um, but we went to breakfast after we saw this house and it was at a place I had never been before and lo and behold the foster the lady that uh was fostering Lola was there at this restaurant Lola and behold yep (laughs) (laughs) that I'd never been to before and uh it was just like okay I feel like this is a sign that I'm meant to get her because we were kind of still in, she had other people that were interested in her and that kind of thing. And it just kind of set me at ease and then, you know, adopted her and picked her up like probably a month or so later, later, but that, that was is how, so
2: sweet. Oh, I know. And she's the best. She, she's she's Lona's in training right now. She's
1: currently on week five of boot camp. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, that she'll, is how. She'll be a new woman. <laughs> yes, hopefully figures. Well, we still want her to maintain all of her lovely personality. We just need to rein it rein Ooh. it in a little bit. Don't we all? On yeah. this podcast, at least. And I will throw it over to Julia. What is your most crazy synchronicity moment?
0: Yeah, I don't know if mine's as cute as yours, but in honor of me being an absolute hellion this <laughs> episode, uh, Ricky and I, as we, as you all are anticipating and we will get into today, we did not speak for a long time it was interesting because we lived in the same city and we also look a lot like. So <laughs> I had not been used to um, kind of be, like being mistaken for anyone or anything like that. So it always still jars me. But I went uh, bowling with a couple friends and then we were meeting some like mutual friends. And there was a couple there and I could tell that our, I love bowling. Just throwing that out there as a general fact, um, but we were definitely bowling on uh, drink and 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 drugs. I will say, <laughs> and um, this girl and her boyfriend were there, and they, I could tell that she was they he was behaving like kind of oddly towards me, but still trying to get to know me. But there was some something weird happening, and then I must have said something about uh, my sisters or made some kind of allusion to it. And this, we had probably been together for a couple hours at this point and his eyes got huge and he uh, asked me more about my sister's and I said that I was a, a triplet and it you could just see like the, the light switch in his head. And he asked me if my sister's name was Ricky and I said, yes. And um, it was her dentist. <laughs> Her dentist. You
1: were hanging <laughs> out with Ricky's
0: dentist. I was hanging out with Ricky's dentist, and I promised if you met him, you wouldn't be asking the question like that. <laughs> quite the party animal, that one. Um, yeah, so that was it. Was interesting just to see. Um, I don't know what he thought up until that point. I don't. He. I think he expressed to me that he just thought that I. He was with someone that looked exactly like you when wasn't <laughs> you? So but that was funny. I went bowling with Ricky's dentist. <laughs> and with that, Ricky, I will pass it off to you. Most serendipitous moment, please. Oh my goodness. Well, I had two to choose from, and there's a really dark one. So I'm you know, we've had enough of that, haven't we? So this is really fun. So I upon leaving one of my jobs. When you're a salesperson and you put in your two weeks, they kind of like don't let you stay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They don't want you there sewing discord. So all of a sudden I had these two weeks on my hands with nothing to do. And I decided to take a little international trip by myself. I still wanted, since I was going by myself, I still wanted to go to like an English speaking country that wasn't too far away. So I went to Belize. So I get to Belize and if you've ever been to Belize, you'll know that apparently you're not supposed to stay in Belize City. It's just a launch point to go to the islands. Um, I did not know that. And it was before I spent months before my trips doing online sleuthing. Maybe that's why I do it now. Don't know. So I got to Belize City where I had an Airbnb for eight days. And quickly was like, oh, no, I cannot stay here. This is very bad, very dangerous. Um, my Airbnb host was super sketchy. It was no, no bueno. So I'm like lying in a hammock, trying to figure out what... Oh, these are actually two moments of synchronicity. Trying to figure out what I'm going to do. It's so hot. There's no AC. What am I going to do? And up walks this couple. You could tell they had just been like rum tasting and they were talking and they I overheard them say that they were from Texas. So I was like, I've got to go introduce myself and see what they think that I should do. And it was really nice. I ended up running around with them. They were on a breakup trip because they were scuba divers. So as their breakup trip, they were going scuba diving together. And nothing bad happened. <laughs> but that was nice that they were from Texas. One of them was actually from Austin. But more serendipitously... Uh, We did have dinner there that night and there was a really nice young boy there who looked exactly like Justin Bieber (laughs) and his dad and just totally hit it off with them. They were so, so kind. They told me about all of their trips and travels together and they were just like quintessential man, son, awesome pair. Two months ago, (laughs) I was on Rainy Street to see my friend Drake DJ. Go see Drake DJ. DJ Rake. (laughs) And I'm walking by this guy and he's sort of starting to try to get my attention. And someone walking, I kept walking because I didn't want to talk to him. And the girl behind me was like, no, he says that he knows you. And I turned around and it was the guy from Belize who just moved here to Austin. His name is Colton. And he really kind of saved my life up to that point, or at least my morale. So it was very nice to just see him pop out of nowhere in Austin, Texas and be living here now. That is so great. You know, you have some... I feel like all of Ricky's stories have a little bit of a of serendipitous vibe, a synchronistic vibe.
1: Absolutely. I have two questions. Why was I under the impression that Belize is like a Spanish-speaking country? It is in Central America. But they don't speak Spanish? No. Yeah. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and second question... Are breakup trips a thing? Never seen one before. Haven't seen one since.
0: (laughs) I feel like I was going to comment on that. I think, I do not think they're the norm, but I have heard of more than one. Seems painful to me, but (laughs) if you are strong enough for it, go for it. And it almost seems like they would be more, they're more common in that you booked tickets to somewhere
1: that are non-refundable
0: and you have to go. Okay. So you just go... And Grin and Barrett.
1: Kind of like a new that. girl where, where they can't get out of it, so they invite the rest of their friends. Yeah. Or cup, couples retreat. No, maybe not break it up for that one. <laughs>
0: Anyways, thing, <laughs> Ricky, what are we getting into today? So today, as promised, uh, Julianne already spoke about our much alluded to rift. So we will definitely be getting into why we didn't talk for two years. And then... Before that, we'll be talking, basically, we're just going to give you guys all maybe brief <laughs> recaps about the last time you saw us, we were in high school, we were graduating. So we're going to kind of just take turns and go through graduation up until us all living in Austin together. And then we'll get into, because it has to be a burning question, why Julian and I didn't speak for two years, how it came to be that we are speaking Every day now. (laughs) And we will also have Dr. Darla on as a special guest to usher us through this episode. So we'll get into resources more at the bottom, but here uh, at the bottom of the episode, but here did want to clarify it is Mental Health Awareness Month and Military Appreciation Month. So we just want to bring light to both of those things. I don't think it's a coincidence that they happen in the same month. And at the bottom of the episode, we'll give you some resources that you can uh, point back to or point a friend to if they're in need. Mm -hmm. So Jules, let's start with you. The last we left you, you're being quite rambunctious. You're in high school. Your dad has just passed away. You borrow my prom dress. We're graduating. You get scholarships and you're off to college. Tell us what happened next. Yeah, so I went to college at the University of Colorado at Boulder. And I actually remember I was just thinking about this the other day. And it might come as a shock based off of everything we know about my relationship with both of my parents. But I do remember asking my mom if she wanted me to put college off for a year and stay with her because I was worried about her. Because she went from having myself, Kendall, my dad, and our dog in the house and very quickly it was going to be none of the above my childhood dog died as a result of heartbreak right after my dad passed away so I remember being really worried about going to college she of course said no go do your thing um and college for me I will not lie it's a little to the shock of night one a little bit of a blur it was very much so me uh Floundering a little bit in grief, um, being introduced to you know a lifestyle where I could do whatever I wanted, which I had already been doing a little bit of, so I had been baptized, I guess, in that sense. Um, baptized by booze. Baptized <laughs> by booze, and just for the rest of this episode, I know we've alluded to it a few times that I do and have in the not I I don't know, and when I talk about substance abuse, I'm referring to alcohol, and then cocaine. Um, I did not try cocaine for the first time until I was in college, um, two years. And I think, and it really, that was not, drug use was not a huge thing in my college experience. It was just something that I kind of dabbled in when it was available. A lot of drinking, a lot of, um, blocking out and putting myself in really dangerous situations. And, um, I think that, searching for validation from men was something that I've struggled with for much longer than then even. But, um, that was my first kind of foray into, I had a, 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 my first boyfriend ever when I was going into college. And then we had ended up breaking up, uh, because, because we were young (laughs) (laughs) and then, um, Yeah, that began more of a really unhealthy relationship with men in the sexual sense. Just a lot of meaningless um, encounters fueled by alcohol. All of that did result in one sexual assault experience that I did not recognize as that for a while and definitely beat myself up over that. And I think I still really struggle with recognizing that, yes, while I put myself in a, a, a situation where I was extremely intoxicated, um, and this pr- would not have happened had I not been intoxicated, that it still was wrong that it happened. And, um, overall high school or, uh, college was a, was a positive experience for me and I'm very grateful for it, but it was very much so. I don't know how much time I spent finding myself because I was lost for a lot of it and just really missing my missing my dad. I Question, never occurred to me till right now, as many things don't until we're on the podcast. Uh, we all deal with social anxiety.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know if you get the the brunt of it or at least it feels most manageable to you. Do you think that is because in your most early formative years where you're really having to get out there, be social, make friends, most of that was done under like a warm blanket of being drunk. And so now it would, it would just always be more comfortable if you are only meeting new people or in a big social situation, drunk. Yes. Interesting. Probably same. yeah okay okay so you make it through college Mm
1: -hmm.
0: overall I would like to say a good time but not a long time Mm -hmm. (laughs) whatever you kind of want to associate with it um but a lot of not finding yourself because in order to find yourself you have to be I don't know if looking would be the right thing to say there but uh, at the Mm -hmm. very least conscious (laughs) conscious (laughs) So then you pull it together. You make great grades. You have a nice marketing internship that was super fun. I think with the athletic department. Oh yeah, yeah. And then you graduate. Mm-hmm. What do you? What did you do from there? So I and yeah, I had always wanted to work in sports. That's why I worked for the athletic department for my the duration of my college career. And I did end up getting a um, an internship with a very dear friend of my father's right out of college and did not think this one through. And this again is something that it's hard for me to reflect back on because I do feel like it was not handled in the best way on anyone's part, but I can realize more of my part in it now. Uh, because I did, I moved in with a family. I moved in with a family of, you know, the, the, The guy was very high up in this, in this company that I had gotten an internship for. And obviously that was extremely generous, um, but him and his family and they had three kids and it was in Texas and this was in Texas. Yes. And, um, yes, I do. I once again, I think this will be a theme. I don't think expectations were very well laid out and I think they thought, okay, she's coming right out of college and like, she's just going to come in here and work and whatever and button up. And And I did not, Uh, I did come get a call while I was at work one day and was asked to come home for lunch. And my mom was there as well as obviously their family. And I walked in and I said, is this an intervention? (laughs) And um, I said, I needed to use the bathroom and I went back and all of my things were packed. And yeah, so I had to go home and that was more, they, you know, wrote a letter about all of that. And it was, yeah, just more of, the, I think, the influence and that I was bringing into their, their home. When I, you know, I'm coming home at all hours of the night, yada, yada. And um, they didn't want their kids to really be around that, which is still embarrassing to talk about to this day. So went home and I ended up getting into sales at... I mean, the ripe old age of 22 or 23. And very quickly, you know, it was an industry that it is extremely difficult to be successful in. Uh, but I was, I um, t- kind of took it, sunk my teeth into it right away. And it was, you know, an industry where you can make a ton of money without, you know, a lot of skills. And, uh, kind of started progressing through the ranks of that very quickly and making a lot of, I was making a lot of money for that age. Um, and I think this is kind of where I got more into drugs and that just had to do cocaine. We'll just say what it is. (laughs) I don't want to, I'm not out here doing bath salts. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's, and I think a lot of people that have been in sales know that there are some certain sales cultures where that is a really big part of it. And I mean, it's portrayed in movies and things like that. And that's, um, yeah, where I really, you know, when I was dating someone that was into that sort of thing, which now that I look back on my life has always been sort of a pattern for me is that... If I'm gonna be doing this, it's all, the one of the reasons is that I'm surrounded by it, probably because of who I am like, dating or hanging out with at the time. If you're not already, I really
1: recommend you watching this episode on YouTube because I can even <laughs> with these <facial> expressions.
0: <sighs> oh, I've been dreading this one, you guys, and I'm just trying to lay it all out and just get through. You're doing it a again. fucking great job. <laughs> Go on. Um, move to California. And I'm now in a very like the highest position that you can be at in this line of work without owning the office. And um, yeah, it was just work at this time was my identity. I think uh, Kendall has mentioned or will mention that I was working. I am not exaggerating. I was leaving my house at like 6.30 6.30 in the morning and getting home at 11 PM. So this created a situation where my colleagues were my friends and it was extremely inappropriate. And now that I'm in a job that <laughs> is not that way, I can recognize like how fucked up that it all got because I those are people that I'm confiding in. And we're in sales and there's drug use and there's alcohol use. And yeah, I um, ended up having to lie for felt like I had to lie about, you know, if I'm taking a weekend off when what I'm doing and all of this. um, And then, yeah, it all culminated in me. I can't believe I didn't know I was going to tell the truth about this, but please, I'm going to Um, culminated in me wanting to go take a weekend off to Vegas And not saying that I was going to be doing that. And um, obviously had to kind of involve a lot of people in said cover up. (laughs) And uh, that my boss found out about it. And um, I was not fired, but I was taken out of the position that I was in. And that for me, in my head, it was rock bottom because so much of me was involved in that. And I had, I mean, I had moved my life and my livelihood was tied to it. And that's where, um, I think I had been abusing substances and alcohol up until that point, but now I am at home. I had bought a house on top of a mountain, <laughs> very isolated. You know, I'm not seeing a lot of people and that's where And now I'm not doing drugs and drinking socially, I was doing that by myself. And, um, yeah, ended up in a couple more really unhealthy relationships where I was either hiding that or it was being, it was a tool in the relationship. And, um, I found myself in just a really, really, really dark place. And I think that I did finally hit a breaking point. And I think I don't know if I need to go into any more specifics than that, but that's when I phoned a friend. You called me. Yeah. And I, we had spoken before about me moving to Austin and I, I had won, you know, that was not like out of the realm of possibility for me, but, but I was so Um, involved in my job and all of that, that it was, I think I like entertain the idea, especially whenever we would come visit and it was just, you know, such a vibe. (laughs) And it was just a very, um, you know, I was in a low spot and you said, come be with me, moved to Austin. And I think we, that wasn't the first time we had that conversation, but it was the first time that I said, okay, I'll do it. And I (laughs) I mean, I had a job at that time. I was (laughs) selling trucking insurance and I loved the the people that I worked with, the lady that I worked with, but I do think it's very um, telling that when I went in to tell her that I was moving and I was going to have to quit my job and all of that, she was like, I thought that you were probably going to do that. I think it was very apparent uh, and I did not know this, but I think it was very apparent outwardly that I was having a really tough time. And, uh, I mean, I, within a matter of a month, I think I had, I had you go look at a little place for me. I did not give a, (laughs) it was like nice or whatever, as long as I could live in it, you went and saw it. And, um, I had, I decided, yeah, it was time to pack up and leave, which, was terrifying. And I haven't thought also about the amount of stress that that also caused because I did leave a lot behind. I was leaving without um, a job lined up. I was leaving with a fucking mortgage on a house and was facing like having to sell that house without being in the state and in a very weird part of the state that the house was in. Yeah. We know we we say things and then we say that we'll talk about them in later episodes. And sometimes we don't close the loop. So we've mentioned that we tell Julianne sometimes that her mountain is showing. It's because she was living atop a mountain in a very odd little town with odd little critters running around everywhere. And she just forgot had to be civilized a bit. forgot my manners. (laughs) Yeah. And I just, I mean, the relationships that I had when I left were like 60 year old, people and 60-year-old drug addicts and alcoholics. And Kendall and I also, and I think she'll touch on it too, but we went through a significant amount of loss in a short amount of time. So right after, between the time I graduated college and the time I moved to Austin, Kendall and I lost both of our grandparents. We lost our uncle. And all I will say about That was my dad's side of the family that we had previously spoken about being extremely tight knit. And that side of the family is completely fractured after everything that's happened between now and then and the the losses that have occurred. So that was extremely stressful. Uh, We lost a very near and dear family friend of ours. She was 28 years old and we lost her to melanoma, which... It's the same, obviously, cancer that we lost my father to. And she was beautiful and so vibrant. So that was horrible. We lost another one of my mom's best friends to who she was like an aunt to us. Um, she was really my dad, you know, dad's best friend and then became my mom's best friend. But she was killed in a gun accident. She was shot through the wall while she was cooking dinner. I lost one of my only friends in my little mountain town um, who was, I think, in his early 30s and he um, had a brain aneurysm while he was driving home from work and they've just found him dead, you know, incapacitated on the side of the road. Uh, Kendall lost someone very close to her that we had both worked with in a really bad car accident. And this was all in the period of... I think two years. Mm -hmm. So it was just really, really rough going. And when it's like one after the other like that, I don't think you have time to process one of them and not all of them at the same time. So it was just, I, you and I, we were talking off, off mic earlier about, there's so many things that we just don't remember or are just very hazy. And you and Kendall really struggle sometimes with not feeling like you're inside your body. I don't struggle with that in the moment, but it is really hard to look back on this period and then the period that we'll talk about that follows and recognize that as myself because it's not someone that I'm proud of um, and just feels very distant from me now, but it's still something that I have to take ownership of which I think has been a whole other struggle in itself. Yeah. And we can, we'll sort of wrap up with you, with Mm me. I'm so proud of you. That was a lot. I know you've been really nervous and I think you did a really amazing job. Thank you. Yeah, of course. More to come. (laughs) (laughs) So Kendall, obviously there's going to be so much overlap in between all of this, but we left you... Uh, feeling very fairly isolated, but having been with your first boyfriend, and then we're we're going to prom, and we're getting scholarships, and we're going to
1: college, and you're going to see you. What happens next? Uh, let's see. So, I went to see you, and I just remember my boyfriend was not going to college. It was my first love, and I remember uh, sleeping next to him the night he in our basement the night before i was supposed to move to see you and just feeling dread that i was going to have to move to boulder to a place where i didn't know anybody and i now did not have my dad to kind of sh- shepherd me through my college experience because it was so great for him and i was so looking forward to it and then we lost him and i think i it just it was really hard. So, uh, I think, I think I was probably (laughs) now I know I was in a a depression for, for freshman year. I, I would go to my 8am class. I would come home I would eat lunch. I would sleep until my 6pm class. And then I would come home, eat dinner and go to bed. And that was my freshman year. Um, I did, rush in hopes that I would be able to make friends that way. Uh, no, <laughs> I literally called my mom crying after the first day asking if I could transfer schools. Also, on top of that, CU does not have a graphic design school. <laughs> like, There was no reason for me to be at this place. I finally realized that like, I can't be at a college because my parents went there because I love the campus and because I like going to the football games. Like that's just not, that does not make for a college experience. So I transferred to CSU, which was a much better fit for me, uh, at least academically. (laughs) I still felt somewhat isolated, but I think that was just stemming from just not really knowing how to make friends, not being a person I was just sad, like I didn't feel like putting myself out there, um, but I did love my classes, so I was really actually very proud of my college experience. I just was constantly keeping myself busy and then um, I graduated and I went on a five week long trip to Europe, where I got to go to fifteen different cities um, and then. I think it took me two weeks after that. I had two interviews, and I got the second my uh, job, and that was my dream job. Um, I loved it. It was. I worked there for three years. I made met so many amazing people who I still reach out to every time I go back to Colorado. And that was really where I kind of found myself um, Mm -hmm. post college, uh, where. I was surrounded by like-minded people all day. (laughs) So it's like basically impossible not to, you know, form, form friendships there. So, um, that's where I really came into my own and, uh, kind of became more of a little social butterfly. Um, but then I guess, I have to mention throughout this whole time, I was (laughs) dating. (laughs) I thought we were just going to breeze right by. (laughs) Uh, I was dating one of Ricky's former friends. They dissolved (laughs) their friendship while we were dating, which was really, really hard for me. That was a five-year long, long long-distance relationship that I had throughout college and past college into my professional career. So that kind of took like the whole... Like dating aspect off of the table. the table of my adult my formative adult years, um, and then he broke up with me. I was devastated, and after that, I think I called Julian and. She was like, I live in a house that I bought up on a mountain and I don't have time to furnish it. Like, do you want to come out to California and help me? Um, So I was like, yes. And I think within two weeks, I quit my job. I packed up my life and I ventured to the mountain (laughs) in California, um, where I quickly found out that, Moving when you have five hundred dollars to your name is not the best idea. I this is where that uh, the money, <laughs> me not being a good person with money comes in, because I was uh, I got my first job with my my grown up salary and I did not know how to handle it and I did not save anything and then I was like you know what we're gonna figure it out <laughs> and so I uh, moved in with Julianne. She was very kind um, to not make me pay rent. And she helped me with all of my expenses and kind of um, just kind of, I guess, took me under under her wing a little bit. And I was for two months, I think, just helping her decorate her house. Yeah, you helped me a lot. too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I was like. And this is the only way that this would ever work is because I was not paying rent. And so, uh, I was like being kind of the housekeeper and like I would, Julian would come home and I would have dinner made, like taking care of my wife, (laughs) all of of the animals and everything. And then just applying to jobs in Seattle and Austin and just trying to like, and, and there was nothing happening. So then, I was freaking out and Juliana was like, well, come, come work with me. It's going so well. So I got into sales with her and, um, And she kicked serious ass. (laughs) I did that for about six months. And then I went on to a conference. And then I had my mom meet me at the airport and I broke down and I was like, mom, I am miserable. This is awful. I, I'm anxious all the time. I have $200 left to my name. I don't know what to do. I either have to save the $200 or I have to spend it this next week on gas because uh, in the six months that I was working in California, I put 20,000 miles on my car. So um, my mom ended up floating me for a little bit. I quit the sales job and (laughs) I became a nanny, (laughs) which if you know me is not a great fit. Then um, my, after my grandma passed away, my aunt and uncle were were visiting us and they lived in Seattle. And uh, they were like, well, do you, I was talking about how, you know, I was just struggling and they were like, do you have a lot of stuff here? And I was like, no. And they said, well, do you want to come live with us? And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> and Seattle is my favorite city, I think, ever. <laughs> and they were offering to let me live with them for free. So I think a month later, I reached back out and I said, were you serious about that? And they said, yes. So I was like, all right, I'm 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 coming. And within the month, I packed up my stuff. And um, I left Julian on the boat. <laughs> that was a really hard goodbye. It was a very hard goodbye. I think that time really um, mended our relationship in a mm-hmm. lot of ways, and um, I think we were both really there for each other, and uh, we bonded. Mm-hmm. And I was really sad to be leaving, but I felt like I needed to because <laughs> I was going nowhere. <laughs> um, so I moved to. Seattle um where I got more nanning jobs <laughs> and was able to kind of do that until I was able to break back into the graphic design world where I got a job at Zulily um and that was It was great uh, for a while. (laughs) And I was really, I got on Bumble BFF in Seattle. I started making friends that way. Um, And then I... Which if you are listening and you have done that, can
0: you tell us your stories? I think that is so brave. It is still not something that I would would ever do to this day just because I'm so nervous, but I've always thought that was so brave.
1: I worked at Zulily for a bit. And then... um, Once again, got passed up for a promotion in a really fucked up way. (laughs) Was working for that company. And uh, that was when I moved Julian down to Austin. And that was when I met he who must not be named. And nine months later, there's a baby. (laughs) 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 Nine months later, I made the decision to not do the long distance thing again and move down to Austin. Um, Which, as you remember from, I believe it was the first episode. uh, Homeboy broke up with me a month before I was supposed to move down. Um, I told him I was coming anyway. But after that, I got back on the old Bumble BFF immediately. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to make the best out of this situation. And I made some um, really great friends. And um, then the pandemic hit. <laughs> and Dude, being a
0: millennial is hard. <laughs>
1: it's really hard man. Uh. But I will say, as much as I love Seattle, I'm very happy that I was not stuck there during the pandemic. Um, being in Austin, I think, was really the best place for me because there were patios and, you know, largely everything remained open. And um, so I was able to kind of find my footing here. Um, and yeah, that was then you know pandemic mm-hmm. <laughs> my company laid me off <laughs> and so uh i was able to get a another job um which was fantastic and i i loved it there and then i met lee and he uh helped me get a job at my current company which was truly life changing and that Him and that job and you guys made everything that I went through to get it worth it. Good. Mm -hmm. Good.
0: Yeah. I know we're trying to pack a bunch in. So we're obviously the entire time this is going on, we are all having relationships with each other. And we're so happy that we could, could be there for you for that. You have a lot of, you have a lot more employment trauma than yeah. than
1: us. Yeah. And that really sucks. It was a tough time for all.
0: It was a tough time for all of us. But I think that there was one who, up until I moved to Austin, was well, I don't know. I was just gonna say was thriving. And then I said, Nope. <laughs> 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 so Rick. You have been here the longest, and I think your kind of journey to Austin encompasses this whole time period that we are talking about. So I graduated from high school, could not <laughs> wait to get the fuck out of there. Literally, never looked back ever, and went to college at Missouri State University. And go MSU. Go. Woo! Go Bears. I have such a fondness for MSU. I didn't go there. I love you all. Oh, Fuck yeah, Springfield. I love
1: MSU in Springfield.
0: You've got to. You've got to. Um, so I went to MSU. I just went absolutely buck wild in terms of drinking way too much. But not, it was in the way that everyone around me was drinking, right? Just people blacking out in college. I don't know. Go to bars, throw out blackout, whatever. And then this is when I really put the pedal to the metal on men. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just men. And so I, w- I really bounced around in college. Just a lot of casual um, relationships and a lot of casual sexual assaults. Like I think a lot of women and certainly every woman in this room has had an encounter with. And I think that's super unfortunate that it's a part of the, it was a part of the college experience. I hear it's getting better. I don't know. But aside from that, Gen uh, Z shall save us all. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Aside from that, had a really amazing time in college, was assigned a project in which I had to study everything about a particular city, cost of living, so on and so forth, write a, write a paper on it, chose Austin, fell in love with it, Uh, decided I had to go to graduate school if I was going to try to move to Austin for some reason. Got into UT for information science and moved to Austin. And so, but the day after I moved to Austin, I was looking for a job, uh, just walking around on 6th Street, looking for a serving or a bartending job. I would like to clarify, 24 hours of being in Austin... (laughs) 24 hours of being in Austin, and walked into Friends Bar, and just fell head over head over heels in love with the uh, with the bartender. Very emotionally manipulative and abusive right off the jump. More so verbally abusive right off the jump. I mean, as soon as he had me in his talons, he would not let go, and he made sure that I didn't think that anyone else would date me. And it was just a lot of calling me names, um, bringing up my sexual history, calling me fat when I was the thinnest I'd ever been in my entire life. Uh, So that really started a big, big downward trajectory for me. I was not thriving before Julian got here. Quite the opposite. I was also continuing to drink that much, drink with him that much, get blacked out, fight. Things did get physical. a a time or two. Um, but yeah, it was in a pretty toxic cycle with this person. So got into a relationship with him, became isolated very quickly. I can see now knowing what I know that is there anyone more prime than a girl who has just moved and has no one here, but the girl, but the, her friend that she moved with Lauren, I love you. Jesus Christ. Thank you. (laughs) Um, And yeah, my friend Lauren moved down here with me. He was putting her through absolute hell as well. And in that time, I also decided that I hated grad school. (laughs) Sitting in a basement for four hours at night, just like, why am I about to spend money money here here when I can make money out there? So decided to just get a job. Got the first job that I applied for at a software company. Started work there right around that time would have been when Zach went to jail for evading many a DUI charge. I think he had like four or five at that point um, because he was a a veteran and he had seen combat in Afghanistan and Iraq in 2008, which was the worst tours that ever happened there. So, and I, you know, I had met his family and they were super nice and super smart and everyone just seemed to be really worried about Zach. So I was really worried about Zach and he did demonstrate a lot of tendencies that indicated that he would hurt himself um, and I just didn't want to be another person that abandoned him. Mm -hmm. So stayed with him while he was in jail for three months. I don't know. It could have been a month. It could have been two months. It could have been three months. We broached over one month. I know that for sure. and thought that everything would be better when he got out of jail because he would be so grateful to me for staying with him while he was in jail. That was not the case. And we moved in together when he got out and things just really ratcheted up in terms of his drug use, being out all night, never knowing what he was doing. Uh, He was working at bars. He was increasingly awful to me. Uh, And then... Yeah, one night I I came home from... Oh, I took a bartending job while I had a software job because I just could not stand to be in my own body or home alone or home at all. So I was working from 8am till (laughs) (laughs) 4am, which is crazy. (laughs) And yeah, one night got home from my bartending job, saw that his phone was blowing up, saw that he had just texted a girl and had said, I can't wait to wake up next to you every morning. So he had quite obviously been cheating on me, which I knew, but just didn't feel like confronting that. And that fight that we had, me confronting him about that escalated to the highest level of physical that it had up to that point. He threw me against a wall and strangled me there with my feet off the ground. And then right around that time, I think that he had posted on Facebook that I was lucky that there wasn't a firearm in the house. And Julianne, you were awake. (laughs) (laughs) Me? (laughs) Awake? So you were able to see that and screenshot it before he took it down, Mm -hmm. which was the only way I was able to get him out of my apartment because I could prove that he had threatened me with gun violence Mm -hmm. and I had like blackmail on him. Mm -hmm. Got him out of the apartment. Uh, God, and I remember after that relationship ended, Taylor Swift's album, 1989, came out. It was fall in Austin. And it was the first time that I had felt free mm-hmm. in, since I moved there. And a whole new world opened up and I was able to go and hang out with my friends. And it's just like a really beautiful memory in, in, in my days. And met another guy, um, great guy. We started dating, fell in love very quickly. We moved in together and the day that we moved in together, my my mom... Oh, I was also working. So this was when I was working at <laughs> a nice little startup. And this was where I really discovered drugs. And um, it was Molly when we were going to like a concert or a show and that was so fun. And then I was in sales. So I was being exposed to cocaine more and more. Um, but up to that point, it was, it was very much like I was doing it on the weekends, but not even thinking about it during the week, which is a compartmentalization thing I've always had. So it wasn't really getting in the, in the way of anything, my relationships, anything. I was just partying. And then my mom uh, called me the day I moved in with my new boyfriend and she's just calling me off the hook and I couldn't figure out why. And I finally stepped out frustrated and called her back on the phone and said, what? Why? I'm at work. And she said, it's about Zach. And I said, why are we still talking about Zach? Because breaking up had taken like a lot of time and energy and effort. And uh, she told me that he had uh, died by suicide. That he um, stepped out of his girlfriend's birthday party, his new girlfriend, uh, after he had told her that he'd been cheating on her. and. Uh, shot himself in the head in the middle of the street. So I went home from work that day after wailing like an animal in the office. And my, my new boyfriend was there setting up our house and I just, it was over from there. Like I could not, didn't, couldn't sleep. I mean, felt his presence over me trying to sleep. Didn't want to be touched by my boyfriend. Um, So this is when I really ramped up that the uh, alcohol and drugs. I was drinking every, I mean, I think every weeknight, going out, not drinking at home alone. I didn't want to be at home. I was going out on weeknights. I was doing cocaine when I was doing that. And this is when, um, you know, I did some things that I really wasn't proud of in that relationship uh, three different instances in which I woke up somewhere where I wasn't supposed to be completely disrespecting my boyfriend at home, waiting for me and couldn't even speak. I mean, it was pretty obvious what had happened, but couldn't even speak to the the details of what had happened and not by any fault of those people. I don't fault them at all either. It was just the whole situation. Um, so got to the point where I was so, I, cause I, It's not who I am. You know, I never thought I'd find myself in a situation like that. And I felt like it really spoke to what I had turned into and that I needed to deal with this. So I was on my way um, to like a work event and I was going to be gone at the work event and then in Malaysia and Singapore for the next two weeks. So just left him a letter, woke him up and told him we were breaking up. And he said, I don't want to. And I said, me either, and that I have to, and it kind of set the expectation that when I came home, we would be completely broken up and he would need, we would need to move out of the house and into separate places respectively. And that is what I did. And then, um, yeah, I was feeling really tormented by that. And still had so much affection for him. So we tried to work it out for so, so long, and it just was not happening because I still had a lot to deal with. And that's when I started at Scribe and started really seriously pursuing therapy, did plant medicine therapy. And that really changed my entire perspective. And I would say that that is when I started making the biggest shifts that I was alluding to in Julianne getting here of just not treating my body that way anymore and kind of focusing on bettering myself. And that's when I started to see Darla. <laughs> so that's why we're breaking her on. And uh yeah, this is when Julianne moved to Austin. And you guys had always loved my boyfriends. <laughs> um and this was no different, you know, Julianne and, and except, that boyfriend. Except
1: Zach.
0: Yeah, except Zach. Um <laughs> <laughs> and uh so we had already had a lot of time that we had spent together all with him. And so when you moved here, that was like the, the crew It was mm-hmm. like my boy, my ex-boyfriend, his friends, my new friends, Jules, that was the crew. And you Jules, just, I, I was frustrated that yeah, I mean in looking back expectations just weren't set clearly, but I was frustrated to see you kind of still having a hard time and still engaging in the behaviors that I thought that we moved out of California to not, but you had never consented to that. And so by way of all of that, I was having like a really happy time in my life where I was like living alone for the first time and loving it and crushing work and really focusing on bettering myself and so excited that you both were going to be living here and we were going to be in the same city for the first time. And then things just jumped the shark pretty fast. I mean, um, yeah, I just felt like uh, you inadvertently risked my reputation a lot by saying things to people that I had sort of told you in confidence was the tip of the iceberg. And then as we slid down the iceberg, it just got to be more of... um, Yeah. I was just worried about you and wasn't able to talk any sense into you is what it felt like and didn't want to be doing the things that you were, be doing, were doing. So we just grew further and further and further apart. And it just all sort of culminated in, you know, uh, one weekend, me being out of town, He he was watching the dogs because I was out of town. So he was watching my dog and then the dog that we had shared together was now his dog. And I mean, for a high level overview, they did, they, you guys left them at the bar or one of them at the bar. And then I, you had the other one and I couldn't find her and I couldn't get a hold of you and I did. And then you never came and met me. And it was just a mess. It was just a mess. And that's when I cut off contact with him completely and had cut off contact with you. Everything was fine. He got his dog back. I got my dog back. Um, but I felt that it had been just a huge... Uh, I didn't know how to forgive that. And then I'm not totally sure of the timing with the rest of it. But it just... If any... What what you're all waiting for and what this culminates in is just that Julianne did then have what I consider to be an inappropriate relationship with my ex-boyfriend, who I still very much loved at that time and was like trying to make things work out with. And it just got really muddy and messy. So that's when we, I completely dissolved our relationship. I haven't talked to him since then. And what we kind of had to overcome up to this point. But in talking with you both about it and sort of reminiscing on past friendships, I think it's really important to point out that it was sort of bound to happen. I mean in you feeling isolated in that sense and him being someone that you were close to when you moved here. And you you and Kendall ran up against those situations with each other and boys. I ran up against those situations with my roommates, Jade and Amber and boys. And I just, I think it's so funny to look back on now. I think we came at it from a full-blown <laughs> opposite side of a mountain point of view where I was like, she should be treating me as a best friend And I would never forgive a friend for this. And you were like, we are sisters. Like, how does this not supersede what is going on right now? Especially when it was such a convoluted, muddy situation. So yeah, that's what happened. (laughs) And then we've since gotten the privilege to... uh, Go through two years of dark nights of the souls, <laughs> and um, that's when I started. That's when, in talking with Darla, it became like her our our only point of conversation was how we were going to make this work. So before we intro Darla, do any of you have anything to add about that time? I think just what I had said earlier about. I haven't, I don't struggle with feeling present in my body, but I do struggle with looking back on.
2: I mean, the past decade of my life and just
0: not recognizing that person. And I know it's, that seems ridiculous to say, and it's also hard because I'm not that far removed from it. You know, when you, when we're talking about these things and it's not like they were a decade ago, It was. it's like they were, you know, a few years ago. And it is just really hard to come to terms with. And I'm not, you know, I won't give any, I'm not going to give any excuses or explanations or anything like that because I think It doesn't really matter now, but I am so sorry. And it was just, it's so hard to see what you're putting other people through when your self-worth is so low that you don't think that you could possibly be affecting anyone else because you're just, you know, not, not even... like having any love or compassion for yourself. So
1: I'm sorry, sissy. I know it's okay. I'm hoping that through, through hashing all this out and everything and, and, and putting it on this platform, it can kind of become water under the bridge and we can all use this as a stepping stone to move forward and just like kind of, you know, not look back and just be sissies and friends and um really have the relationships that we want with each other moving forward Mm
0: -hmm. yeah well I don't think that we have the only valuable perspectives here and sometimes it's really a relief to get an outside perspective which is, is really what helped all of us through these two years of dark nights of the soul which is a perfect opportunity to bring in Darla, a lady who um, taught me to not hate myself. (laughs) So Darla has been my therapist for five years now. She is an absolute gem of a lady. She is uh, highly accomplished and brought a lot of good perspective to all of us in talking to us about how siblings interact with each other, what we should have expected from each other the expectations that we should have set with each other. And basically, I think at the end of the day, made it really clear that um, what's important is that we're all together now and that we were always bound to rub up against conflict. So, without further ado, here is Miss Darla. <laughs> Hello, Darla. How are you? Hi,
2: hey, Ricky. I'm great. How are you?
0: I am excellent. Thank you for asking and thank you for being here today. I think I'm more nervous for you to be on than either one of our moms. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's an honor to be able to be here with the three of you guys. Thanks for having me.
0: <laughs> of course. We're, we've are we been so excited to have you, so the listeners. And you know that the way that we start these podcast episodes is by asking our crazy question of the day. So the question that we have for you is: What is the craziest moment of synchronicity or serendipity that you've ever encountered, or when you know two worlds have collided in a in a hilarious way?
2: So, Ricky, this answer is going to have to do with you directly. Um, <laughs> it was it was my birthday weekend, and y'all, you know, I have a grown ass son, and we were at Parker McCollum.
0: <laughs> Kendall's like, whoa, you know <laughs> So then- We were we were at the Parker McCollum show at Stubbs. Oh, yeah, In no, Austin. but I'm, I'm saying she's, she's, saying she's not
1: old enough. No, no, I know. doesn't
2: make any sense. <laughs> I
1: know, she looks amazing.
2: I was not 12 either. Like, I was young, but I was not that young. Oh,
1: yeah, no judgment. So oh. that came off.
2: <laughs> no, 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 you're good. No, I always throw it out there because people are like, oh, shit. I'm like, no, no, I was, I was young when I got knocked up, but not that young. <laughs> so... We're at the concert and my son actually got tickets. And the three of us are there and we're like at the bar. And my son has dark brown hair, blue eyes. And I look over and him and Ricky are like flirting and Google eyeing. And I'm like, I look at him like, oh, oh shit, that's Ricky. That, so I kind of like do the, let me move my hair. I'm like, this. Oh my God. I don't want her to see me. And I don't want, like, I'm not ever going to tell my son, like, hey, Trait, that's. That's a right. Um, And so I'm like, I tell my husband, I'm like, let's let's go over here. So we like move a little bit. They're flirting. My son's like, Mom, did you see her? She's so fucking hot. Like, <laughs> yeah, she's very right?
0: like something. Oh my god. So Jules, do you remember your you were actually here for this? Yeah. And do you remember what I was doing? No. So Darla, in that moment, what was happening? Not that your son is not just... I feel, just I probably do. I just didn't realize who it was yeah. because I do remember two very cute boys, but continue. So not that your son isn't just very handsome, but what was happening in that moment is we were at the concert and Julianne uh, had been, you know, newly in town and was single, ready to mingle and said essentially that she didn't know how I had so much confidence to go up without a, without any... Um, shyness or embarrassment and just hit on people and i was like well you know it's either goes well or you probably never see them again and if you see
1: them again they don't remember you so then i went up to uh, hereditary (laughs) (laughs) so i went up to darla's son and just like you're like watch this (laughs)
0: let me show you how it's done (laughs) and quickly just like bailed because it was just like a a lesson. And then I, yeah, I walk into the office the next Thursday and Darla was like, so what did you think of Parker McCollum? And I was like, did I tell her I was coming to you? Yeah. Yeah." (laughs) Why? (laughs) And she was like, oh, I was standing right there. And I thought that you, you know, I didn't want you to see me and you didn't want me to see you. And we, and I, and I just had literally zero idea that you were there, or I would have given you a big hug and professed to the entire concert venue that you were my therapist. But I just didn't, I did not clock you. You You're quite short, but I don't
1: think that's short.
0: (laughs) So that's very funny. Um, well, if I haven't said your credentials already, you're a clinical psychologist and LPCS, and I've been seeing you for about five years now. So before we dive into the meat of what we're talking about today, could you just tell us a little bit more about you and how you got into your, your profession and your practice and what brought, what brought you to where you are today?
2: So usually I'm not the person who talks about myself. It's about you. So that part's a little awkward. Um, like I said earlier, I did everything asked backwards. I went to college at Texas Tech, was gonna be an attorney, and I got knocked up, had to move back home to my small town. Um, do you guys know who Snoop Dogg is?
0: No, <laughs> <I'm> not familiar. <laughs> <heard>. Of course. <laughs> it's really Nelson, so I
2: was like, that's, that's my claim to fame. Both of them have been arrested for possession of marijuana in my small town. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. All right. <laughs> 600 total, like 600 people. Wow. Um, so I stayed there for four while well, my son was up to four years. My mom died and I wanted to get out of town while I was doing that. I went to community college and got my associates to be a paralegal, got a job at a law firm in Austin and knew I wanted to like still work and do more. When my mom was dying, um, a breast cancer, I remember asking people like, don't y'all have counselors? And they were like, Oh yeah. Like school counselors. Well, school counselors drink beer with my mom, so not ever going to go see somebody like that. Um, but I really thought, like, oh, maybe that would be it. Maybe I wanted to work with women who were experiencing cancer. Found out really, really fast. Didn't want to do that. Um, so the whole time that I went to school, I got my LPC, like my undergrad. I got way too many masters to describe because I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do anymore. And then I just went on and got my my doctoral degree. My goal, guys, I wanted to graduate with my doctoral degree before my son graduated high school. I beat him by six months.
0: Yes. Congratulations. <laughs> That's amazing. That's awesome. That is so incredible. Can we get, you might not even give it, you might be too humble, but I sit in that office once every two weeks and try to count. Can we get an official degree count?
2: So I have an associate's degree in applied science. I have an undergraduate degree in psychology. My first master's is actually in HR. I hated HR. Could not, guys, it was worse, worse, worse internship, worse job, could not stand it. Um, And then I have a master's in counseling, a master's in clinical psychology and a doctoral degree in clinical psychology.
0: Okay. Wow.
2: Six degrees strong. (laughs) That's
0: that's amazing. She puts us to shame. She does. Well, thank God we have you. So where we left off, me, Julianne and Kendall, we were talking about, each of our experiences from high school up to all living in the same city together. In that time, I also started seeking serious, I got serious about therapy and then I got serious about finding out who our biological father was. So that's enter you. I guess at first I would love to get the lay of the land of when I was initially coming in to you in that mental state, what your thoughts were. <laughs> and then moving into me telling you that my sisters were moving to Austin for the first time and what you thought maybe your take on how you thought that would go
2: whenever you first came in it was most definitely a transition between dealing with a boyfriend who died by suicide and an emotionally abusive relationship with the current boyfriend moving out transitioning into a new city a new job and then when your sisters were moving you were so excited and Ricky you were like So ecstatic that your sisters were going to be in Austin. You guys were going to get to be sisters, do family meals together, hang out together. Um, And then maybe not, maybe like you were still super excited, but then there was transition afterwards or during that time, whenever they moved in.
0: And did you anticipate that? Like on on the brink (laughs) of my excitement, were you like, I don't know if this is going to go how you think it's going to go?
2: Yes. Um, I'm sure Kendall and Jules got to experience some, like being siblings, fighting with each other, loving each other. You didn't because you were raised as an only child. I worried about disappointment and what like the fantasy of sistership looks like and siblings look like, as well as understanding, you know, you guys are going to fight. You're going to argue. You never had any of that. And I think in your mind, the way that you present, you're like, oh my God, I'm going to have my sisters. It's going to be great. I'm like, it is. And you guys are still going to fight and you're still going to have your, your siblings. Um, the other, the girls went through it where they loved each other, probably hated each other. Some maybe not have ever said that they hated each other, but you didn't have any of that. And I worried about like, okay, what's that transition going to look like if you get into a fight with one of them.
0: And, And have you seen with, um, with siblings that you work with, do you think that they are more likely to not be handicapped in that area, but to, to not invest as much time and effort into external friendships especially even as a twin where you're you kind of do have we've talked about built-in best friend where Mm -hmm. Kendall and I you know we put we definitely invest into friendships but not near as much as Ricky and you think that that's can can be sort of a reason for that
2: yeah and and with twins that's so fascinating because you can have it and be too much of one instead of being too much like the individuals that you have or that you are
0: right so you I actually thought that was super so you said that your parents had intentionally like kept you in separate elementary school classes mm-hmm. and stuff. And then I was reading like a little bee read called I'll be you if anyone <laughs> wants to check it out. And it was about <laughs> twins. And they had mentioned the same thing in that book and then had said that it's like a frequent piece of advice when you start to go looking for it, when you find out that you're pregnant with multiples to try to individualize them as much as possible so that that doesn't happen. Darla. So would you agree with that? That yeah. you, you'd, That's good advice.
2: It's interesting because a lot mm-hmm. of times it's not the twins, it's the parents. I mean, think about how much mm-hmm. easier it is to buy like two outfits versus four outfits or five or six, um, or so much easier to just be like, okay, your girls are going to sleep together in the same room, same bed. You both like the same thing to kind of like, you know, um, herd cats together. To keep better right. instead of keeping them individually. It's a it's a lot easier for some parents. I Speaking will. of
1: cats, I will be right back.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I
1: will say that I feel like um I remember when julian said this the first time we talked about it in the podcast. Um I don't think our parents put us in separate classes to inter- I in <laughs> individualize us. <laughs> I think they did it because we would be distracted and we would be getting in trouble all the time like Mm. my mom tried to put us in dance or gymnastics or whatever and we like basically got kicked out because we were like messing with each other the entire time so I think that was more maybe and maybe knowing mom she probably like read up and stuff and they probably like that was probably advice that she had read but I think it was Mostly so that okay. we didn't get in trouble.
0: Okay. <laughs> so. And then yeah, that makes sense what she's saying, Darla, what you're saying from from a utility standpoint. Just mm-hmm. keep them as close together as <laughs> as we can for utility and money purposes and trying to make everything streamlined and affordable and not crazy. And then that could be why we see so often that twins are referred to as the twins wearing the same
1: clothes. And we, we did. We we were <laughs> We wore the same clothes. We were matching always. And we did share a room um, until we kind of, until dad's real estate development took off. And then we got to move into the big house and each have like our own rooms and stuff. So you, Darla, knew that I was probably setting myself up for a little bit of
0: disappointment that I hadn't encountered yet because I've never been in a situation to be close enough with Juliana Kendall, or in a close enough proximity for like actual real conflict to arise. And then it was kind of a slow burn, right? She, she had moved because I had asked her to, basically we had sort of agreed on the phone one night as she was having a really hard time. I was like, just come down here. And in my mind, and I obviously wouldn't have said this, but I w- wanted to help her. Um, because she seemed to be stuck in a pretty damaging loop for herself, just with this the job stuff and then drugs and alcohol on top of it and being totally isolated on top of a mountain. Just, I just wanted her out of there.
1: Just to clarify, she and her is Julian. I <laughs> I moved to Austin <clears throat> almost a year after Julian did. Yes. 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 And I think when Darla's talking
0: about me being so excited, it would be for Julianne to be moving in and for you to be moving her, Mm -hmm. like the event. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I didn't necessarily take proper stock of the fact that once Julianne got here, just because she was in a new location, she would be super inclined to change her behavior immediately. And then it was just little things that started to pop up. So can you walk me through what you would even say now when you're starting to see like the slow fraying of a relationship, what that looked like on your end and what you advised me.
2: So whenever, whenever Julianne moved and her, you said her behavior didn't change. My thought was like with you, you wanting it to change, like you wanted to like be like the savior, like to help her, to have her do better, to have her grow and not understand that she's still a person and has choice. And that like loving her is both of it is having her be who she was going through all this stuff, as well as her still coming down, being your sister and loving you. I think that was probably one of the hardest things because you didn't want her to experience all the negative. And then I also think it was really hard because you were looking in the mirror and you were worried about going down that path.
0: So Darla, this would have been, um, things Things escalated, right? And basically the the overarching theme became that uh, I felt like Julianne was telling pe- things, people things I didn't want them to know that I told her in confidence, essentially, but like in, in social situations. And then had just become, like there were a few incidents in which she became, uh, like I felt that she had really disf- disrespected me um my life that i had built here eventually had been really irresponsible for like my with my dogs and then had gotten into like an inappropriate relationship with my ex-boyfriend so this is when we hit like the final like i come into your office and i tell you like no we're not talking i don't know if we'll ever talk again mm-hmm. and this is where you start to have to try and counsel me through that and you were always quite bullish on. I mean, I think it was the topic of every therapy session for like two years (laughs) and you were always quite, quite bullish on me. The question that you would always ask is, you know, well, what would you have to do to make what, how would you feel if something happened to her? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Tell me more about like what you saw in me through that conflict and where you were trying to get, get me to.
2: I like how you say it kindly bullish. So guys, I say that my asshole question, Like, <laughs> I, I am a true asshole. And I say this, cause I would be like, okay, Ricky, like I understand you're hurt, um, everything that's going on, but what if something were to happen? And she'd be like, I don't know. What do you mean if something were to happen? And I would say, well, this is an asshole question. If your sister were to die, could you just be like, okay, you know what? She's dead. I I feel bad. Cause my sibling passed away. I'm going to mourn it. Or am I going to be fucking devastated? <clears throat> And usually Ricky would get very emotional, and be like, "Well, the latter." She'd be fucking devastated. Um, I think during that time, Ricky too, it was healing your inner child too. Um, I did go back and look at like the EMDR thing, and I was like, "Oh, there was a lot of like healing the little girl of healing the little girl who was by herself, who longed and wanted to be with her sisters, and her sister was here, but her sister wasn't doing what she wanted." And I'm sure that the girls experience that with each other where one of you wants to do something and you want it, you're like pulling her and dragging her. And then also trying to set healthy boundaries where you're like, I don't, I can't see her like hurt. I think at first you got pissed off because she was hurting you because of like the the social scene. But then it was, no, 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 you're, she's hurting herself and you couldn't see her hurt herself. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. (laughs) Yes, definitely. And that was the entire time that we were not speaking i think that's where more more where i was coming from is i was just s- distraught that yeah and i would always think about what if something happened to one of us what if something happened to one of us what if something happened to one of us and i guess it's a lot easier to think that way when you are the um offending party but i was also just have you know i knew that she had a boyfriend that she was really serious about and things like that and i was really struggling with Already having missed big moments and missing more, yeah. And
2: and working with Ricky during those big moments was difficult to have you miss those moments.
0: Well, Darla, if you had been Kendall's therapist during this time, what would you, Kendall? What would you have asked Darla? If Darla, what would you have told her?
1: <laughs> um, I think. I would probably just ask if there's like any way that I can like help the situation in any way, which I know that there wasn't. And I was just very much trying to be there before both of you and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah.
2: I you did, you, like I, mm-hmm. I do think that you did because you didn't, you didn't from, from where I sit and from what I heard, you didn't stir either one of them. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes people do, you didn't start either one of them. And you just like listened and like loved both of them. And I don't know if you were like, oh, please y'all get together. Like it'd be all three of us um, when you were by yourself. But from where I said, again, you, it looks like you did really good that you're like, I'm going to hold space here, hold space here and not judge either one and not try to like force them to be like sister, sisters Mm -hmm. or talk to each other and all that good stuff.
1: I know it, it has been kind of an interesting dynamic because I think, um, I did want them to get like back together so badly like cuz I moved down and then what was it like 4 4 to 6 months later they stopped talking and I wanted them but it's been super interesting because I sometimes find myself missing <laughs> when they weren't talking because I got to spend more time with them than I ever have because I would make a point of seeing I really tried to see both of them like at least once a month. So I would like switch off weeks where I'd be like, okay, this week I'm hanging out with Ricky. This week I'm hanging out with Julian. And that was really nice. But it did um it did always feel like there was like an elephant in the room kind of a thing. Have you not been trying to hang out with us since then, just because we've been doing the podcast for years? Yeah, week? I mean, <laughs> it's
2: like, <laughs> hold
1: on. <laughs> no, no, yeah, it hasn't because I'm like I already see you guys, so um, something yeah. that I'm going to work on. <laughs> no,
0: but yeah. Our little How important forget. do you think it is, Darla, for? for more than one when you have a group of more than one sibling who I think you obviously have to take age into into account if they are close in age how important do you think it is for them to spend time with each other separately as opposed to like all in a group
2: well it depends on how much you want to foster the relationships of each one the dynamic between the three of you guys is I think Ricky still has like had and still has this little part of her you two will always be sisters Like you guys were raised together. And I think sometimes it's like, well, Ricky won't be your sister. Um, One of y'all's podcasts, I don't remember which one said it, but one of you, maybe it was Kendall, but Kendall was like, Ricky, you're always going to be our sister. I think that Ricky didn't always feel that way and doesn't always feel that way. Um, So I think it's important to still, like you two have like 18 years. Ricky's trying to make up time, you know, individual, individual and collective time together. Um, I think it's important just like you would a friendship or a relationship.
1: Do you think that, um, because Julianne and I did have our, you know, 18 years under our belt of living together and being sisters, do you think that made it like easier for us to kind of like just automatically assume that Ricky was our sister and that we could behave with her in the way that like we would, cause uh, that I think that was part of the struggle was that like we automatically saw Ricky as a sister, which we would, you know, we hold that relationship very dear. But for Ricky, she had to kind of learn. It was more like a friend, friend relationship. I think. I think that's a good point.
0: I think maybe when I was doing whatever I was doing, I was expecting unconditional. Obviously love, but just, just not expecting to be, have to face any consequences from my sisters because they were my sisters. And I guess, yeah, there's, there's a difference between you and Kendall. And I think maybe that made me angry because I was
1: like, what the fuck?
0: You're supposed to love me regardless. Um,
1: Because I had demonstrated that that was... How it was going to be? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was the question for Darla? Did, was uh, the question was. Um, do, do you, you think, think that so? it was That'd easier for us to see oh, yeah. Ricky as a sister and her to see us as friends?
2: Well, and you guys talked about it in one of your podcasts about fighting with each other, and then your parents wouldn't know. Ricky didn't have that person to fight, and then to come back. I mean, think of when you guys were kids. Like, what what's one of the biggest fights you two had, like together?
1: Oh, there was one where we. Literally, we're like wrestling each other out the front door and our neighbor had to come and break it up in the front yard.
2: <laughs> and and Ricky didn't have that. So then when you guys come in, y'all are like, oh, hey, you're our sister. We're going to do yeah. this. And Ricky was like, well, wait, wait, wait. You don't, we don't do that to each other because she didn't do that with her friends. Right. So- mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I guess that is. So with you, Julianne, I mean, were you surprised that things got, things got to a boiling point where I was like, I'm now I'm done. Yes. 100%. Okay. And then I think mad, (laughs) like obviously I was having a hard time taking even responsibility and accountability because I was really also mad that, um, that it was going that way. And it's like, well, fuck the, you know, if she, I, if this is how it's going to go, this is how it's going to be like, I'll give you something to be pissed off about. Cause I was, yeah, I think I was obviously sad, but really, yeah, angry that I had that. Cause I did not expect it to go that way. I do think, and I, I was thinking about this this morning. I do think that it was overall extremely constructive because I know that you and I had just talked to like two days yesterday. Oh my God. About and i think that i had said something that made you wor- you know that there was someone back in my orbit that you were worried about and maybe using me using drugs or you know getting crazy like that again and i was like no it's not going to be a problem and i what i said to you is i'm just over that hump of you know i don't i don't want to feel like that again i don't want to see the sunrise anymore it gives me so much you know anxiety to even think that but when in truth it's and it's it's i'm doing it for me but I would not risk my relationship with my sisters again. And I think I, I'm going to crawl. I I think I didn't say that to you right then because I don't want anyone being like, oh, well, you have to do it for you. You have to, and it is me doing it for me, but that's just, it's not like it's a non-option. Kendall's not as... You know, we don't, it's not as easy to get her excited or to get her to be expressive or to, you know, look forward to something or whatever it is. And it's just how she is. And I think we know her well enough now that that doesn't bother us. But it definitely bothers us with other people when they don't meet our expectation of like liveliness and expressiveness and things like that.
1: It's, it's nice to know that that doesn't bother you guys. Cause I've literally talked to my therapist. about. Like, I I like, mean, Ricky told me something and I didn't react the way I think she wanted me to. And, and now it, I feel like I need to address it. It might actually bother Ricky
0: more than it bothers me now that I'm thinking about it.
1: Well, there is
0: oftentimes if Julianne and I are ever sitting mulling over things, just the grand, grand life suppositions, if you will. It's always me that says, do you think Kendall hates us? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it's always you that's like, she might, I
1: don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it is always me that asks the question. But I think, and if I say she might, I don't know. I think I've, I feel maybe she's annoyed with us or maybe she doesn't agree with us on something, but I know that she does not hate us and she would never. I oh, don't know. I'm asking if you think that she likes us as people, or would be friends with us. Yeah. <laughs> that that is the doubt that I encounter in our relationship. Is like
1: I don't know if she likes me. <laughs> oh, see, that's how. I, <laughs> I, I, had anxiety, I had anxiety starting this podcast with you guys because I was like, I feel like they think that the podcast would be better with just them because they look <laughs> they look the same <laughs> and like. It, no. <laughs> I, I've always felt like I make our narrative less interesting because we're not like we're not all identical what the fuck I know I know
2: Kendall you're very it's very interesting to have you like I don't know you I just know you from what Ricky has said but the balance that you bring my thought would be is like okay I don't again I don't know you but you're probably like way, way way more like sensitive caring um, and your like calmness and intrigueness is it's like intriguing to listen to and be like, Oh, what's Kendall going to say? Or, <laughs> or it, what's she not going to say? Why is she holding back? Cause I think you hold back.
1: Mm. I've not held back the most in this podcast <laughs> that I ever have in anything we've ever done. So. Really. So Darla, getting back to what we, so
0: Julianne and I are having a bunch of strife. We're going in and out of talking to each other and then like, a big thing happens and then we we got to a point where we might've been able to get over that and then another big thing happens. But, was there at that breaking point and with everything that was packed into that, after that happened, did you think at any time, I really don't know if she's going to talk to her sister again.
2: No, I thought that you would always talk to her. <laughs> it would take time. You were hurt, like you were crushed and devastated, but you would talk to her.
0: Mm-hmm. And so when I came to you two years later, <laughs> like, I think that I had been showing where anyway, like, I think it's something you were really trying to soften me up. Colin was really trying to soften me up. And then, so before I received the letter that Julianne gave me through Kendall, did you think that making up was imminent or not?
2: Like, yeah. And I don't know if you remember, you did an exercise where you wrote her, but you never sent it to her. You had texted her. Like the hurt. Yeah. yeah, you, had yeah, that, yeah. You, did, you did a homework assignment, but you never, you were like, I'm not going to send it to her. I'm like, well, that's fine. You don't have to send it to her just like, cause you're really good at writing just that way you have it out. Um, but yeah, I did think that, it, and especially because you were getting closer to Kendall that it was inevitable for you all three to be together.
0: Mm-hmm. So then when I received um the letter, which we'll talk about more in next episode, but and we're kind of getting to the point where we're making up. What were your thoughts? What do you think I could have? What were you like wanting to kind of grab and scream at me that you couldn't? (laughs) Um, and what would you have wanted to tell them as well?
2: To well, for you to be like, because I tried a lot to be like Joel's is Joel's and let her like be who she is and still love her. Like that unconditional love. But I wanted you to like see that with Jules, like that you guys could fight and still unconditionally love each other and that she could be different than you. Because I think Kendall is, you, you're like, oh yeah, Kendall's really different. But I think Jules, you're like, well, she's, she is different, but she's really not really different. And that you can love her even where, even though she did something that would hurt your feelings really, really bad. Because you said you would never forgive for, a friend for that like, she's not your friend. She's your sister. And sisters do that. Humans do that sometimes.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really, that's what we're butting up against here is exactly what you said. Like, I would never forgive a friend for that. And me not having the established sense of being sisters. So this turning into an even bigger minefield than it would have been with, with, like, for instance, if it were Juliet and Kendall. That's interesting. Yeah. And then just in parting, (laughs) um, first, then you were also um, counseling me through trying to find my biological father, finding Mm -hmm. him. And we've seen now on the internet that this is a whole community of people, um, donor conceived people or not parent expected or a whole group of people whose lives have been upended by DNA discoveries and leave everyone feeling a little bit differently about it. Do you see that often in your work?
2: Yes. On both sides. Okay. And what is it
0: like to, to counsel those people?
2: Like
0: what are some trends that you see?
2: Oh, it's so interesting because it, the people who do the DNA test, if they find out that they're not, not their family is not their family, then they want to like search for their family. Or some people don't want to have anything to do with that family or they do and they don't get what they want in return. And when I say don't get what they want in return, um, they don't get like the reaction. They don't get the open arms. Some people on the other side are like, nope, doors closed. Don't want to have anything to do with that. Um, You, by you doing the DNA, I did my DNA. I knew that I had a cousin that my aunt put up for adoption. Um, only because somebody had told me when I was in high school, there's a girl who's very similar to you. And my mom was like, yeah, your aunt put, you know, a girl up for adoption. But I found out that I have another cousin that the same aunt put somebody else up for adoption. Um, And so I was like, oh my gosh, this is really weird. And what sucks even more is my aunt didn't want to have anything to do with the second girl. They're both named Sarah, which is weird. Um, Yeah, very, very, very weird. But I was like, oh, this is really interesting of like how it comes out. And some people are open to it and other people are not. Mm -hmm.
0: So would you then, I'm just assuming from what you said, Mm -hmm. advise people to just like tread with caution and go into it with little or few expectations or even prepared for the worst or what, if people are going to embark upon that journey, what is the advice that you would give to them?
2: I'd say to prepare for the worst and also to ask yourself like, why are you doing this? Like, what is your motivation to want to know? Um, What do you want to get out of it? We, you and I talked a lot about that. Like, what is, what is the idea of like, who, who, who is your DNA? Who are you? What makes you up? But to also know that the DNA doesn't make up your whole upbringing, your whole people. Um, Your parent, like your parents, I know like Kendall talks about like your, like her mom is her mom and her dad is her dad. Doesn't have any. Any, anything like looking out, you know, for bio dad or anything like that. It's like, no, no, these are still your people. But just to like process it and really think about like, okay, who, why, why do I want to do this? And also know that people are assholes and they may slam doors. Um, they may not be nice. You may not get the reaction. It may not be the family. Um, if you're even looking for the family, I don't think you are looking for the family, but you may not get the reaction that you want.
0: I just realized because I think we've just assumed up until this point that Kennel and I are less invested in this because we grew up together. But it's I think Kennel and I, from based off of what you're saying, just less invested in in finding the biological, um, you know, people related to us. Maybe it's more so because we grew up; we always knew that the two people that were raising us were not biologically related to us. And we saw them as our family. They were, they were our family. So I think maybe that's why we had less, less y- or yearning to find out who that, that was. And, um, I think less investment yeah, more altogether. More of the same for you basically. Yeah, but exactly. That's interesting.
2: And also like the loyalty of your parents. Mm-hmm. It's not uncommon with when humans are adopted that like, if their their adopted parents are awesome, great, and amazing, they're like, no, no, these are my parents. It's not even like adopted. It's these are my parents. I don't care who who I came from. These are my humans and I'm loyal to my humans.
0: And my humans chose me. And my loyal to me. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I'm um, not wanting to hurt their feelings, you know, because yeah. in the moms, it, it's interesting. I've worked with moms, not dads, but the moms who whose daughters especially have went to like go meet the other person. There's a lot of fear there too, Mm -hmm. but that they're really brave. Like your mom was really brave. Yeah. Both moms.
1: (laughs) Both moms. Um, What advice would you give um, to people who would like to have the conversations that we've been having on the podcast with their family, but don't have this kind of a, a platform to be able to kind of facilitate it like how do you start those conversations
2: just start it just ask it just whatever you're what yeah just I mean but I'm, I'm an upfront person or to be like just to ask the question um or to have you know have the conversation I think like with mental illness I think it's something that everybody should talk about not when I say mental illness I don't mean like the bad part like depression just talk about it talk about both sides flip the coin Like, what would it look, what would A look like? What would B look like? Just to open it. We as humans will talk about a whole lot of stuff, but we won't talk about some of the stuff that's really, really important. Mm -hmm. So how would you, if someone's
0: not such an upfront person and they need to just say it, (laughs) (laughs) how do you advise, like, how how would you find that within yourself? And a lot of people don't necessarily know what the question is. Like, how do you uncover that for yourself?
2: Well, through therapy and whatever their modality is, if they're talking, writing um, songs, whatever their way of like expressing themselves, I would recommend to do that. And some people have like I call it the effective pause where I can come on and say it today and then I need to have a couple of days to process it because I got more other stuff to say. But then other people are like, no, 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 I got a couple of days and I need to think about it before I say it. And how do I say it? And just have the uncomfortable conversations. I think with COVID, it was so interesting working with humans, how many, okay. And you guys are going to be like, oh my gosh, Darla, um, Ricky already knows, but okay. How many times do people say like, oh my gosh, did you get the COVID vaccine? Lots of mm-hmm. people, right?
1: mm-hmm.
2: how many times, like when you're on a date, how many times do people say like, oh, Hey, do you see a therapist? When was your last STD test? Mm-hmm. That's way more awkward and odd. Right. Mm-hmm. But we we're talking about COVID. So I'm like, why can't we talk about all this stuff? Why can't we just bring it up and just ask the question?
0: And I think, I think more people are open to hearing the question than not. I think it's Mm -hmm. the more belong, the fear belongs to the the person that wants to ask the question. So I think you keep saying, you know, put yourself in, in that person's shoes. So I think overcoming, having, being able to overcome that and say, okay, I'm really scared to ask this, but would I be offended or hurt if someone actually asked this of me? And I'm sure if you're wanting to ask that question, the answer is going to be no, I wouldn't be offended if something someone asked it to me as well. So maybe just kind of trying to conquer, conquer that fear that way.
2: And most people want the question to be asked.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: And to have the conversation.
0: Mm-hmm. Amazing. And then just one last thing. So I mean, we're going to get into how Julian and I made up how that went in episode nine, but obviously it happened or we wouldn't be sitting here today. Um, so how does that make you feel, Darla? <laughs> I'm
2: super excited. Not, I never have goals for the people that I work with, but I'm super excited, like to be able to hear you guys, to see you guys. Um, I just would encourage you guys to be able to have like conflict conversations. What would it look like if you guys all didn't agree? Um, and you're able to like hold and be like, no, I don't agree with this. I think you guys should pick a topic. And each one of you have a different, a different opinion on it. Even if that's not truly your opinion, kind of do like debate, be like, have this topic and be able to have the conversation. Um, And I, then I also think that like Ricky and Jules need to have like the same one and have Kendall be by herself and Kendall be like, no, no, this is what I think. This is what I believe and hold it.
0: I think that's such a fun idea. We could, we got to flex the muscle on And important things before we flex it on important things. Yeah, practice for conflicts. We should practice trial. Interesting. (laughs) I love this idea. (laughs) We'll do that for our next game night. Yes. (laughs) Next (laughs) game night. Well, Darla, thank you for your counsel over the past five years. Thank you for joining us just in time for Mental Health Awareness Month and Military Appreciation Month. Uh, I know that you help people in that Venn diagram often <laughs> um, but we so appreciate you coming on and I so appreciate you to speak there for me for for five years and I know that the audience um, appreciates your unique insight so
2: thank, thank you and it's been an honor for you guys to let me be a part of this podcast and Ricky for you to let me be a part of your journey I appreciate it thank you
1: thank, thank you so much thank Dr. Have a good night
2: Dr. Have a good night
1: nice Bye. to meet you
0: what a gem. She was lovely. She is. I can see why. I can see why. (laughs) (laughs) I can see why you've been with her for so long and, and uh, what a great impact that
1: she has indubitably had and very grateful to hear from her. Um, I just wanted to share um, just one thing that she said that really stuck with me um, because it's a way that I've been thinking ever since, as Julianne uh, pointed out, we had like a really tough couple years where I think we were literally at funerals, you know, every other month or something. It was ridiculous. And ever since then, I've kind of tried to treat my relationships as if if something did happen to that person, would you be proud of the relationship? Would you have? regrets anything like that and i think that's a really good way to treat life but uh it also comes from a very deep place of a lot of fear my my biggest fear is losing people and i think uh part of the reason why and we've talked a lot on this podcast about my friend issues i think i put a lot of a lot of pressure on relationships and on friends and because i am so terrified of losing people um But I just thought that was a really interesting um, way in which she related to you, and how I think we all um, have unique relationships because we have experienced more loss than I think a lot of people our age have had to to go through. So I thought that was really interesting, and I hope it can be helpful for other people as well. Same, Jules. Anything?
0: Oh, (laughs) yeah, I have, I mean, both of you know, I've been on pins and needles for this. And I do, um, you know, there's definitely a measure of fear for me in just these last few episodes and all, all around, because I know that we all went through things, but I was definitely the most overt in my coping mechanisms. So to hear her have a lot, just a lot of grace, I almost like don't feel that worthy of it, but I do. I'm, I am so grateful just to be here with both of you right now. And I'm really happy that this is over. This episode. <laughs> and yeah, I just have a lot of, um, a lot of gratitude for her and for both of you and we'll do better and I think that if we were to look back on everything that we went through together and apart and have let a fucking man ruin it (laughs) that would have been embarrassing (laughs) (laughs) So if anyone out there is struggling with something like this or having a hard time seeing how you could mend something like this, um, that's it. I mean, it's not worth ruining a a friendship or a sisterhood or a relationship that you've worked so hard for over something that was an accumulation of shit that had happened to all of us. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I think that we will look back on it 10 years from now and be really really grateful that it all happened exactly the way we the the way that it did because I'm already looking back on it now and kind of thinking that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, thank you for coming to the table so earnestly and being willing to repair things with me, Julianne, even after I did not speak to you for 2 years. Kendall, thank you for being there for all of it. <laughs> An excellent middleman you are. <laughs> Uh, and before we sign off, I do want to say in honor of Mental Health Awareness Month and Military Appreciation Month, that if you are facing a crisis and you do not have a DARLA, dial 988 to reach the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. If you are a new or expecting mother, you can call one eight three three. 833 If you are a new or expecting mother, you can call 1-8339-HELP4-MOMS for confidential professional advice. If you're feeling overwhelmed or just need someone to talk to, ask your healthcare provider, contact the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration's National Helpline at 1-800-662-HELP or visit www.findsupport.gov. If someone you know is going through a tough time, you can also reach out to them and tell them that you're there for them. We're all in this together. And we are signing off, but before we want to give you a little preview of next week's episode, we are A, finding out exactly how Julian and I made up, and we spend the rest of the episode talking about how we found our biological father after I took that DNA test. So we can't wait to see you there. And in the meantime, we hope you leave feeling a little bit more normal in your own family dynamic, excited for the possibilities and more curious about the world around you. Have a good week, take things in stride and leave people better than you found them. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. And on the heels of behaving in the in the relationship in a way that I did not think was true to myself and was really, really ashamed of, exiting that relationship, getting the new job at Scribe, and then diving deep into therapy, something that I also felt was really necessary for me, was finding out who I am. At a cellular level, so in the midst of making all of those changes in my life, I did also finally break down and submit my DNA <laughs> to a database uh, ancestry DNA to be precise. I just really was feeling a pull to because my relationships with with men, I mean, in college a little bit but definitely from moving to Austin on had gone so terribly. I uh, just found myself more and more curious about who our biological father was, and what we were getting from that side of the family. And if that was contributing to our generational trauma any more than we already had acknowledged from all of our other generations of trauma. So that is also when I did that. And funnily enough, that is what is kind of bringing us here today, but kind of feels very, very peripheral in the light of other things that we are talking about.